looking at the book of Titus, and for our scripture reading, we're going to read from chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to go over to chapter 2 and read the first verse and the seventh and eighth verse. God's word says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Take special note in verse 1, which accords with godliness. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then down in verses 7 to 8, the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. If uh, the two gentlemen would come forward with the microphones, let's consider what does it take to be a great gospelizer? And you can either answer either one or both. Or what must I work on to become a better gospelizer? Amen. That's a great quality. Good job. Yep. They, perce- they were amazed at Peter and James and John's boldness. They perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had a boldness. Certainly boldness is a great quality for a gospelizer. I think what goes along with boldness <clears throat> is a deprecating of, what y- of yourself. I mean, you can no longer care that people categorize you as that Bible thumper or whatever it is that they want to categorize you as. Because it's not about you. It's about God's message, and you've got to like, put that beside, behind you. Amen. Thank you. Very good thought. If our life is to revolve around reaching people, it can't revolve around ourselves. I like that. I think for me, it, it's what's at stake. It's heaven or hell. It's not about us earning our way to heaven. A lot of people get hung up on that. We're there by grace because someone spoke to us. So to me, it's just when you look at somebody, if you don't, and the Lord put it on your mind, then who will? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what I great. think That's great, having a glimpse of heaven and all its beauty and having a sober glimpse 
of hell and what it means to be eternally separated from God. You let that sink in, and that'll start beating in your heart a desire to gospelize. I love that, John. Thank you. We have one over here. Well, according to what we just read, um, we should be speaking sound doctrine. So make sure we don't get sidetracked on our own uh, thoughts or views uh, when we're sharing the gospel. And um, also being one who others can see good works in us. Look at that. So we're walking our talk. um, And also soundness, seriousness, um, making sure our speech is sound. and that no one can say anything evil of you. Just taking out what we just read, that's all. Very good. Good job. I like that. You just preached the whole message. You need those two things in balance. They must accord. Good job. You, you hit the heart of where we're going tonight, but all these other thoughts that were expressed are also not just valid, but very important aspects of being a good gospelizer. Anybody else? James. For me, I think the first thing is to be willing to be used by God and just let the Lord know, hey, it's not about me, it's, I'm available. And God will not only uh, give you opportunity to minister, but he'll also give you provision of what to say and, and how to present it. Um, also, that goes hand in hand with this, is just being able to get into the word of God and knowing what the truth is and do the best you can to live it. Because that will be a testimony that you can take with you. And when you minister to people, you're not disqualifying yourself for what you're telling them that they should be um, looking to do. So being willing and also knowing and living the truth. Amen. Well, that's good. You're right there. What was it? I think it was Bob Jones III who used to always say, your best ability is your availability. Being willing to be used to God. Just like that opening video. Thanks, James. It was good. Take one or two more if we have any. Uh-oh, here he comes. Get ready. What does it take to be a great gospelizer? The song that we just sang. Um, <clears throat> Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ controls me. He says in 1 Timothy 1, um, 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed with me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, that Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Um, he just never got over the love of God towards him. And that has to be our, our motivation. All, all the things could, could fall by the side, but just keep looking vertically. It'll impact horizontally. Amen. Hence the beginning of the service, putting that before us. Really good. Thank you, Pastor Dave. But Joey over here, you're getting a lot of exercise. I'm not sure about Dennis. He's been standing <laughs> in the same place there. <clears throat> Just piggybacking off of what Pastor Dave said, not getting over what Jesus did for us. Amen. Um, Cammie came home and told me about a student of hers that got saved recently. And he came in so excited and wanted to share with everybody that he got saved. Praise the Lord. I think we have to have the mind of a child at times. Yes. Not get over what Jesus did for us. That's great, Joey. Amen. Excitement. Anybody else? There we go. Amen. 
so when I uh, come in contact with a good gospelizer, they look like um, very humble, um, and their approach is not one of like uh, hastiness, so a certain humility. And I find that it's very attractive because I can then hear the gospel. Mm. Um, so when I think of myself as a gospelizer, a good one, great one, um, I, <laughs> I get you know, anxious because I know I can become kind of hyper. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm excited and excited and anxious and then the message is not conveyed the way I would like it to be conveyed. And so a great gospelizer is someone um, in my eyes uh, who's really humble and so they're that. always listening. And then whatever comes out of their mouth is usually the perfect thing to be said at the time. Amen. <laughs> That's just so good. Thank you for that. So we want to have the boldness of Enzo, but not rudeness. We want to have that boldness, but humbly expressed. And I love that thought of being very attentive. If you knew me the first year or two after I got saved, I was trying to tell everyone everywhere and would just rush in and step on toes and do all that stuff. But God matures us in that way. But the listening, so often it's in response to someone's story, whatever the presenting issue is that allows you to bring them to the gospel. I love that. Last one. Okay, well, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate your help. Let's take some time. It is Wednesday evening, so let's take some time for prayer requests and prayer time, and then we'll go into the book of Titus. So we're in the book of Titus again, if you're using a Pew Bible 998, and if you have your Bible open there, we're going to have to do about a 25-minute flyover of this book. Great gospelizers are great harmonizers, and we're going to draw our attention to the first verse of chapter 1 and chapter 2. It says there in chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, the faith, not the operation of faith, but the faith, the body of doctrines and beliefs, how Jude used it, earnestly contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints. So Paul, right from the beginning, of course, he identifies himself as a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to God, and an apostle of Jesus. And he says, I minister, right here from the, from the very beginning, for the sake, I am an apostle and a servant, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, but not just their faith that we share, sometimes called a common faith in the book of Jude and here in verse 4. But he says, and the knowledge of the truth. And that's one side of it. And he said, but all of that accords with godliness. And I think it was someone over here who put the, that couplet together already. They go together. The word accord, it's interesting because it's a different Greek word in 
one one and two one, two different words that are translated well in the English as accords with. In this first verse, it's kata, in or towards the direction of, and it's and it's usually almost always used relationally, one to the other. So these two are related, the one to the other. Uh, think about it. East makes no sense without west. South makes no sense without north. The very concept of them is in relation to, to, something, to something else. They are related and cannot properly be understood apart from one another. So doctrine has to accord with our deeds. Our beliefs must accord with our behavior. When they're not in accord... It's discord. And we can get this right from the beginning. It's a simple concept. We're just going to show how it's expressed over and over and over in the book of Titus because Titus needs that and the Cretans need that. The Cretans would need that. And we see it over and over. In uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And, and that word is prepay. It's different to be fitting, to be proper, to be appropriate. And we're going to see, if we get to it in chapter 2, that what follows that you say, well, what is that thing that accords with sound doctrine? And you're going to see, he talks about conduct and character in the passage that follows right after that in every group of the church, in the older men and the uh, younger men. And the younger women and the older women, you'll see all of those in there. So to illustrate this, before we even go further, think of an accordion. You've seen an accordion, right? They have all the buttons on this side, kind of the the base part of it. And usually on this side, you'll either see buttons or you'll see a keyboard, and they play that accordion from both sides. Now, try not to think of the umpapa, umpapa type of accordion. Think of a classical accordionist. And to help you do that, we'll show a quick video. It's from <clears throat> Alexander Krustavik. He's playing Vivaldi's Four Seasons. And I'm just going to take about 30 seconds out of the part of that called Summer. Just watch how he plays it. And let's use that as our illustration. I got to see the whole thing. It's pretty amazing to do Vivaldi's Four Season on an accordion. It's an amazing thing. And so if we're saying it's obvious over and over, I, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of that truth on one hand, which accords with godliness on the other hand, you can see the two sides of the accordion and they are played in harmony. And you absolutely need both of those but how about the bellows? 
what we think of as an accordion because we've seen accordion doors or walls or something. That's all air. It's like a picture of the breathing of the Spirit of God. You can have all the right conduct and do all the right things we know the Bible says to do. Or you can have all the knowledge and of doctrine and be so theologically intelligent that you could express all kinds of things. You could have both of those. But when that accordion is closed and they clasp it shut, there's no air going through. That's all you get. And to be great gospelizers, first of all, we're going to need to be utterly dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. It is his ministry to convict of sin and righteousness and the wrath to come. It is his work in, in the great gospelizing work. But God would use us. And he would say to be used, great gospelizers or great harmonizers. Here's the great gospelizer, the Apostle Paul, who would be training gospelizers to be, be, become great gospelizers, a Titus and a Timothy. And they would go to different places. And Titus, you're going to Crete. There's a whole bunch of churches there, but they're in need of someone to model good works and to teach sound doctrine and all of that. And God used him. Could he not use any one of us? But we would have to say, I need to work on both. I need to continually grow in my knowledge of the faith. And I need to continually strive to be more and more godly in my character. You see, we need this. And so let's just look in this book and flesh this out a little bit. We've already seen in uh, verses uh, 1 to 4 in chapter 1. In fact, if you would, were to go through this, this accordion we've talked about, this two-sided thing that must be balanced and must harmonize in our lives to reach people, even people like the Cretans who we heard a little, about, a little bit about in the introduction, just read the book through and, and you'll see that very much so. So he writes to them and says, I do this for the sake of the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. In verse 5, Paul specifically says, I'm writing to you, Titus, to do something. To put in order, or to set in order. Look at verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That put in order, in the King James, set in order. It's a Greek word with the root word in it being orthos, like an orthodontist who straightens out your teeth, or orthopedics where they straighten out your bones. He says things are off balance, they're out of order, they're not connected properly, they're, they're not working, there are things going on among the Cretans in their behavior and conduct, which does damage to the gospel and in the things they're teaching. And you can look at the book right through that way. It's just 46 verses, chapter 1, 16, chapter 2, 15, chapter 3, 15. It's a really easy read, but read it through that lens and see it's like a light motif in a Wagnerian composition, that, that little music thing that just keeps popping up 
over and over again, and you see it in this book. And so in chapter 1, he deals more with leadership. These are the qualifications that are needed for the elders. A lot of it paralyzes. Uh, parallels, not paralyzes, parallels what's in First Timothy chapter 3, where they give the qualifications of pastors and deacons to follow. But here he concentrates on the elders. So look at these. In six, verses 6 to 8, you'll see it all deals with godliness, conduct, behavior, character. Verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, another word for elder, uh, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, right? We heard this over there. Someone who's a good gospelizer is someone who could express those truths, but with a humility and be able to listen. Uh, not arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. In addition to all that character stuff, verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see, the attacks come on both sides of the accordion. We always, as pastors shepherding a flock, we always in our own lives must realize that our enemy attacks both. Behavior. Anything we can do to get a Christian not behaving according to scriptural truth and what's taught in there, who doesn't live godly, becomes a reproach to the gospel. And so that's very important. We're not, to, we're not trying to preach holiness just to make people good boys and girls before God. It's essential to our faith. You'll deny the very truth of the gospel when we don't live right. So we constantly need that. Or he attacks the truth of our faith and cults spring up in this church and that church. And the truth is... It's by none of those churches that we get saved. No church died on the cross, not a Baptist church or a Catholic church or any of those. It's Christ who did that, and our faith is centered on him, not some denominational fraction or a cult or anything like that. They go together. And so we see these attacks on both sides of the accordion, to use our metaphor for this evening. For there are many who are insubordinate. I'm in chapter 1, verse 10, as we do our little flyover here. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So there were Judaizers coming and trying to add legalism. Where did they come from? How did those churches get started? Did the Apostle Paul start all those churches? We really don't know. We do know this, that in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when they did the list of all the people, there were the people from Crete in that list. So there were some from the day of Pentecost who witnessed that and surely would have gone back because they had traveled from all those places and all of them, as you remember, on the day of Pentecost heard that. Where was that coming from? But somehow Judaizers had crept into the church and the Apostle Paul had to say, we need to keep this side of the accordion playing right and in tune so that it harmonizes with the other side. And then he goes on to say something in in verse 12. This is a little hard for our modern ears to hear. 
Well, you think, who talking about it? people of another culture like this? The Apostle Paul, he hits it. He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I don't think he was running for political office when he wrote that. He said, then he goes on to say, this testimony is true. I've ministered in island culture. And it's interesting how in an island you could have a certain culture and norms and is so isolated from other parts of the world that you have to learn that landscape to be able to gospelize. This is in verse 13. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Sound is a good word to follow the times it's used in Titus. Godliness, godly, ungodliness is a good word to follow. Works. Good works, and another phrase to keep following. They keep coming up in this context. He says, uh, goes on, not devoting themselves to Jewish, Jewish myths, etc. But I'll jump down to verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You are going to see through this book in all three chapters constantly hitting both sides because great gospelizers are great harmonizers and they keep those two in tune and oh how the Holy Spirit uses godly people with knowledge of the truth who are skilled in sharing that who are developing that you say I want my life to revolve around reaching people from all tribes, all nations, you're going to have to concentrate constantly on both of those. If you were to follow good works through here, you're going to find out we're not going to have time to get to all of the passages, but let me just mention them. In 116, it said they're unfit for any good work because their behavior is bad and their beliefs are bad, to put it in simplistic terms. In chapter 2, verse 14, I love that verse. It's a little insubordinate clause that doesn't even need to be there, but it's so rich. Just park on chapter 2, verse 14 sometime and, and see what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it's just a little extra. In verse 1, he says, uh, he tells them, teach them to be ready for every good work. And in chapter 3, verse 8, and even in chapter three fourteen, where he's just doing his final look thing, you know, his final goodbyes, and they greet you, and we're about to get out. He has to say it one more time. Teach what accords, uh, excuse me, uh, for them to devote themselves to good works. Up in 2.14, it talks about Christ gave himself, and at the end of it, to purify unto himself a people who are zealous for good works. See, we want to be devoted to good works and zealous to good works. And How many great opportunities we have in the church and things we even saw in in December where small groups went out and reached out and just did good for people. And how did that not open many doors to sharing of the gospel? And we need to have those balanced. Now we get into verse uh, chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What is it that accords with sound doctrine? What's the other half of that accordion? Because we have 
sound doctrine, but what is it he's to teach? Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. He's going to talk about all these behaviors. Teach those things because they accord with sound doctrine. We need both of those. Older, men, older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, etc., etc. Likewise, verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Titus, you show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching... Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. We absolutely need both. And you can go on in verse 9 where it talks about bond servants, slaves in that day. We would apply that in this day to, to employees or to be submissive to their own masters, their supervisors, their bosses, in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. Isn't that beautiful? Over and over you see this two-sidedness, this balance. What does this mean for us? This means for us that we can't just say, well... I'm not really a theological type. I'm more practical, which means I try to be a good boy or a girl and don't concern myself much with the theology of it. Uh, I, I, I know. I learned a little bit about the Romans' road. I, and I know Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And that, that's kind of enough. No, we can't do that. We can't say, well, I'm more a practical person than a theological person. Likewise, we can't say, well, I just study and study and learn and have all this, and I want to know, understand more and more, and I dig deep and dig deep. But you don't have kindness or love or mercy or share that in, in such a way to reach people. It's like my life revolves more around knowing so much that I could take any JW down. Bring me one of those Mormons, and I'll show him why he's so wrong. Well, you could get out of balance. And you know what happens when you're out of balance? Discord. Not accord. I'll close with this illustration, even though I would love to get to more verses. My dear Aunt Carol is visiting tonight. Hi, Aunt Carol. I love my Aunt Carol. She's recently moved and lives near here. So glad to bring her. But years ago, probably 25 or 30 years, I don't know if you would remember this, Aunt Carol, but I remember it clearly because it was very impactful. Aunt Carol worked for Social Security for years and years all the way through to retirement, and she was always a diligent, hard worker and took it very seriously because she was dealing with cases of people who had great needs. But she was surrounded in her office by these born-agains. And they were high-fiving each other, and their screensavers all said, praise the Lord. And they'd get talking all the time at work about, oh, Bishop, he just preached it last night. He brought it home. And they'd be doing all of this. But they were sluggards. They were slackers. And they had stacks and stacks of things that weren't taken care of while she was working diligently. And she once said to me that, I just really have no interest in that kind of Christianity. Isn't that sad? 
I've never forgotten that, Ann Carol. I don't know if we've even talked about that conversation in years and years. Think about it. When that accordion isn't in balance and working, what damage can happen? We absolutely need both. So if we're going to be great gospelizers, we're going to be great harmonizers of both of them. So let's say Pastor gave us the theme word, that one word imperative for this year. Now the, the two questions we asked, let's answer for ourselves the second one. Everyone had ideas of how can a person be a good gospelizer? Almost nobody was willing to share tonight. What must I do? to be a better gospelizer. That now begs two questions. What areas of character and conduct must I increase or develop in? And what areas of doctrine and understand where I need more depth in? And that's why we're here. That's why the church is here, to provoke one another to love and to good works, and to edify, and to teach, and build people up. May God use us all greatly in that way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this little book of Titus. We hardly look at this one. And then often when we do, we, we think, well, that's kind of for elders or pastors, not necessarily for everyday people. But it truly is for all of us. Because right there in the middle of chapter 2, Titus, the elder overseeing several works, was told to be a model. And you don't model something that others are not supposed to imitate. So help us all to desire to increase in our knowledge of the faith and the knowledge of the truth, and help us all to grow in godliness. Oh, do that work, and make greater gospelizers of all of us. Most importantly, as we grow in those two areas, may your spirit breathe. And just as the, the air goes across those reeds and creates that sound, do it in us. Help us to adorn the doctrine of God in all that we do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.